0: If you have your copy of Scripture open to 1 Peter, if you don't uh, have one with you, there's a pew Bible there. If you can turn to page 1390, pull that pew Bible out, turn to 1390. Uh, while you're turning there, um, uh, if, you've, if you notice the title of the sermon is the, the Treasure of Salvation. And as I thought through the idea of treasure, I'm beginning to, to, to look and kind of poke around a little bit. And I realize that we are so fascinated... As a people with treasure, we have, uh, there's TV shows that have to do with treasure. There are these big expeditions of these, with these big ships. They're trying to find this sunken treasure. Uh, some estimates say that there's, there's over $60 billion worth of treasure still hidden, lost at sea. So you got these big operations trying to find these big treasure, these big cannons, and these expensive platinum, this or that, gold coins, silver coins, these sunken ships, and we have these. We like the pirate movies when there's treasure involved, that kind of thing. But we also like it on a smaller scale too. Like there's shows like Storage Wars, and some of you guys watch that. And if you like, if you watch that show, then already you're thinking in your head, yep. That's what you're saying. And, you, and if you've never seen that show, then that doesn't, that's not funny at all to you. But if you have seen that show, then then that's the one who just laughed at that. Because they go into these storage rooms and they don't know what's behind the, the, the door. And then they, they open the door and they look and they, they bid on it and they, they hope that there's treasure in there like an old baseball card or a, a, some, some rings or something like that. We are so fascinated with treasure. Some of you are garage sellers you go and you try to find something that's of value, of worth, that you can get. That you can get for cheap. Maybe a steal, a, a dollar painting that you buy at the yard sale might be worth thousands. You know, we see that on the news all the time. We're just so fascinated with treasure. And it's funny because when we, when we hear stories about somebody finding an old expensive baseball card in their grandmother's attic... We just, we wish that was us. Like, we go back up into the attic and make sure there's nothing, no little box hidden in our attic or in our, our parents' attic. Like, we, we, want the, we want to have that treasure. When they bring in these expensive, valuable things on some of these shows, like we're like, I wish I could have that treasure. We're just so fascinated with treasure. But may I submit to you this morning that if you're a believer, you do, in fact, have the most valuable treasure That this world has ever known. And I hope by the end of this day. By the end of this time together. That if you are a believer. Then you can say. I have a treasure of great worth. And if maybe you're an unbeliever. You can say at the end of our time together. My heart longs for such a glorious treasure. The treasure of salvation. I really wrestled with this passage this week. And. 'm still wrestling with it because it's such a such a, a big thing the salvation of god's people and it's incorporating with, with so many things and um, it's just salvation is indeed a valuable treasure let's look in first peter chapter 1 verses 1 through 12 i'm going to read it through and then we'll pray and then we'll see what god has for us first peter chapter 1 verse 1 through through twelve. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithany, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that now have been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things into which angels long to look. I don't know if you've seen the sign sometime that says, Call before you dig. I hope that at, I hope today we dig and find treasure in the Word of God. But I think we should pray. I think we should call before we dig. Let's pray. Father, we come to You now, God. We open Your Word before us now, God. I pray that You would proclaim it to us, God. I pray that You would teach it to us, Lord. I pray that You would speak to our hearts, God. I pray that we rejoice in the joy that is our salvation today. God, we look to You now. We pray this in Jesus' good name. Amen. Starts out in verse 1, chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. We, we know that Peter is, is one that was the, the, the Galilean fisherman. He, he he had the foot and mouth disease. Often he would just put his foot in his mouth all the time and he would say stuff. And, he, and, and when you look and you study through this book, it, in the introductory studies of something like this, there, there are people who debate whether or not uh, a Galilean fisherman could have written those words that we just said. But he, he did, in fact, write these. He walked with Jesus and he could come up with phrases because of the inspiration of the Spirit who, who inspired him to write these. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles... Peter's writing to the elect exiles, the believers. We believe that he's writing to Gentile believers who are scattered. And he lists um, a group of places where these people are. So when you look at something like, like a text like we looked, looked at, we kind of need to find out who he's talking to. Why is he talking to these people? Well, when you study this passage and you look at all these places like Pontius and Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, and he says to people who are elect, to sojourners, to aliens, to foreigners. He's talking to Gentiles who are all over pretty much modern day Turkey. These places that he listed are about 300,000 square miles worth of real estate that that he's addressing here. So he's just this broad announcement to all the believers in that area. When you, when you see that um, he, he's writing this right around 62, 63 AD, right before Emperor Nero just assaulted Christianity with heavy persecution. Now, that's important. And we'll talk about that in a little while. Emperor Nero had a serious, deep abiding hatred for christians and there was a serious persecution that he imposed on the believers the people of god in the roman empire two things that we're going to really look at and these two things have several subpoints. the first one if you're writing notes if you take notes the first one is the treasure of salvation is an act of god the treasure of salvation is an act of god it is executed by god it is brought about by God. Salvation is something that is brought about by God. In verse 3, we says, we see that He says, He has caused us to be born again. Now, if you back up a little bit, when you say, He has caused us to be born again, who has caused us to be born again? We see that in verse 2, that this salvation that Peter's talking about is a work of the Trinity. All parts of God, God's person, the Godhead is involved in salvation. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Now, the treasure of salvation is such a a heavy, deep thing we need to look at today because it specifically says that it involves all parts of the Trinity. Now, there's a lot of things that we can talk about that we can study in Scripture that don't specifically say that each distinct part of the Trinity is involved in this. Now, the baptism of Jesus, that's an important thing. Each distinct persons of the Trinity were involved in that story. Look it up. Read it later. I promise. Salvation is an act of God. An act of a Trinitarian God. God the Father planned salvation. It says, according to the foreknowledge of God. God the Father who is receiving glory, He planned salvation. God the Spirit applied salvation. Setting us apart means sanctified. And the sanctification of the Spirit, as the Word says. God the Son accomplished salvation. How did He do that? The sprinkling of His blood. We have forgiveness. We have we have received salvation through the blood of Jesus. We've been purchased by Jesus. Now, when we see that Peter talks about the, the salvation here, he talks about he, he has caused us to be born again. Well, what does this do? This work of the Trinity, this act of God, this act of a, of a sovereign, holy, three-person God, what 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 happens when we see this? Well, he just spews forth in worship. He says at the beginning of verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, "Bless God, He caused us to be saved. There's, there's worship that stirs in us when we realize that He's saved us. When we realize that, that it's not something that, that you muster up in yourself. It's not something that you did. It's an act of a sovereign God. And when you realize that, when you realize that's how He saved you, that He came to you and He found you and He saved you and Jesus died for you and the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you and God the Father is receiving glory and honor and praise because He saved you. How do you, what, do you what happens when you realize that? Well, you worship. He says, blessed be God. This work of the Trinity brings forth worship. Why? Well, because of the next part in verse 3. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again. Mercy and grace, right there, married together. Because of His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again. Grace. That's why Peter is worshiping here. We've been born again because of the mercy and the grace of a Trinitarian God. And he's left to worship. But it gets better. It really does. I promise. It's not just a work of the Trinity that brings forth worship. But it brings forth hope. Why do we have hope? Look, look at the last part of verse 3. It says. He has caused us to be born again. To a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus. From the dead. We have hope because he is alive Today. We have hope because he's resurrected. The son that accomplished salvation was killed, was murdered. And they buried him and they pouted because they're like, what do we do? We don't know what to do. They were scared. They were afraid. They were following Jesus. And they said, we'll go with you anywhere, Lord. But they didn't know what to do. Then he rose from the grave. And because he rose from the grave, folks, listen to me. We have hope. You have a treasure of salvation if you're a believer. It is a work of a Trinitarian God. And you have hope because Jesus rose from the grave. This brings forth hope. So it's executed by God and it's reserved by God. Reserved by God. What I mean by by reserved, it's set apart for a particular purpose. When you call ahead and make reservations, the restaurant says, okay, we'll set this table apart for your particular purpose. Salvation is reserved by God. is set apart for a particular purpose. It's given by God's hand. It's a personal gift. Verse 4, the first part of verse 4 says, we have this, res- this hope, this, this, we've been born again to an inheritance. An inheritance. Again, we love treasure We love hearing the story about somebody finding a treasure. Again, we love hearing a story about somebody finding out about some rich uncle. Didn't even know about it. Some guy had some castle in Wales. The next thing you know, you get a phone call and said, Hey, we can't find any other relative. He's got this $40 million estate in Wales. What do you want to do with it? Keep it or sell it. It's yours. We look at that we say, I wish I had a rich uncle like that. But we do have an inheritance that's way better than that. We don't have some rich uncle in Wales. We have a rich father in heaven. And he has set us apart. We are saved to an inheritance that is ours. Now, Peter goes into a few words here that are kind of rare words in the Greek New Testament. Some of them are used only two or three times. One of them is used only once, found here in the New Testament. Because Peter's a scholar, right? It says this inheritance that we have is imperishable. The Father secured us a treasure of salvation, and this treasure is imperishable. It's everlasting. If you're a believer today, 10,000 years from now, your salvation is will be as bright as it ever has been. It's imperishable. It lasts forever. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 52 is another time that this word imperishable is used. Paul says in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. The King the New King James, the King James says incorruptible. These words, incorruptible, imperishable. They're good words to describe your inheritance that you have. You found some treasure in your grandma's attic, you got some rich uncle, one day, you're not going to enjoy that because you'll be dead. You found a great treasure in salvation. One day you're going to be dead. But you're still going to be enjoying your, your inheritance. Because it's imperishable. It doesn't stop being awesome. You like that? Just saying. The next word that Peter uses, he says it's undefiled. Not only is it imperishable, it's undefiled. It's pure. Eternally Unsoiled. Pure, as pure can be. Now, it's hard for us to find something in our world, in our day, in our culture, anywhere, even on the planet, that is so pure that it's absolutely 100% pure. Maybe you've been to some cave in some place in Tennessee, and they say, this is the purest water on the planet right here. Well, it can't be too pure because I'm putting my hand in it. Sure, There's something in my hand. The salvation of God is completely pure. Undefiled. Your salvation, my salvation, imperishable, it's undefiled. The next word he uses, it's unfading. Unfading. This word, unfading, is the only time this word is used in the New Testament. It's going nowhere, That's what he's saying. It's powerful. It's a treasure of salvation. But also... It gets better. And this is, what a great treasure. Peter says, it's undefiled, it's imperishable, it's unfading. But it's also kept in heaven for you. Who by God's power, if you look at that word power, it's where we get the word dynamite. Who by God's dynamite, God's power, are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. Now, when you look at this salvation that's guarded by God's power, that's kept in heaven for you, nobody can touch it. It's yours. It's a gift. It's yours. It's funny how people, and it bothers me when people say, and they're talking about salvation and they say, um, you know, salvation is a gift. Say I have a gift in my hand. When is it your gift? And they say, well, when you take it. Hadn't it always been that person's gift? At my house, that's how it is. We will keep presents for weeks at our house before a birthday party. And my kids look at it and they're like, I want that. It's not yours. Because we bought that. We purchased that. We paid for that for someone else. It's theirs. Your salvation is yours. It's been purchased. It's been bought. And when you look at this phrase here, the, "who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed. We, we got to step back and say, what do you mean ready to be revealed? I thought I thought it is has been revealed. Well, salvation takes place in three tenses, past, present, and future. And we always talk about salvation in this past tense. But it's bigger than that. It's much more a brighter treasure than that, just the past tense. In the past tense... God justifies us. We have been justified. So God declares us right. He declares us innocent. And regeneration happens. We are regenerated. Our spirit is regenerated. We once were dead, but now we are alive. God declares us right. Past. That's a one-time occurrence. It happens one time. God justifies us. Present. He sanctifies us. All throughout the day, throughout your week... God is steadily saving you. He's sanctifying you. He's making you more like Jesus. And in the future, glorified. We've been justified, we've been sanctified, we've been glorified. God declares us right. He prepares us in sanctification. And God shares with us In glorification. Past, present, and future of salvation. Anytime you look at these described in Scripture, it's always referred to in the past tense, though. Though He called, He also justified, He glorified. So it's a done deal, whether it's happened or not, or yet. I mean, it's... Our glorification in Christ is sealed. It hasn't even happened yet. And God's already talking about it being in the past tense. This treasure of salvation is huge. It happened yesterday. It has happened today. And it's going to happen in the future. This salvation that's ready to be revealed. It's groaning to be exposed to the world. What a treasure. Not only is it executed by God. Is it reserved by God. But it's refined by God. Your faith, your salvation is being refined by God. In verse 6, he says, In this you rejoice. In what? In this. What's he saying? In this. We are saved by God and we are kept by God. Therefore, we rejoice. In this you rejoice. Though for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Wait a minute. If necessary? Yeah. Yeah. Your salvation is a work of God. It's executed by God. It's reserved by God. And it's refined by God. When God saved you, He started a work in you. He's not done with it yet. He's refining you. He talks about our faith. It's more precious than gold, though it perishes and it's tested by fire. Do we want to be tested by fire? Do we want to be refined to purify gold and precious metals? They got to be melted down. Do you want to be melted down? What what various trials is God going to use to melt you down? Is it a wayward teenager? Is it a lost spouse? Is it a financial burden? If you're a believer, you got to realize you got a treasure. Your hope is secure. You have a treasure in the midst of. Walking in this life, God's refining you. Putting you next to the heat. Get that big blower and... He's making something precious out of you. He's refining you. Trials and persecution, they will come. They will refine your faith. They'll purify your faith. They can prove the reality of your faith. I heard someone say one time, that adversity brings out true faith. Find yourself in a, in a trial. Maybe your true colors show who you really are in God and our salvation. Peter speaks of being tested by fire shortly after this. You can read that later on in the book. When he's writing this, just years later, Emperor Nero who so furiously hated Christians he would get them and he would impale them on a stake he'd put pitch on them and he would light them on fire as like his night lights in his garden Peter's writing to a people who are experiencing trial by fire he's saying though the flames might get hot Your treasure is imperishable. It's unfading. It's undefiled. So let the fire come. Let the trials come. You have a secure salvation that's kept in heaven, that's guarded by God. The treasure of salvation is an act of God. The treasure of salvation revolves around the Christ of God. It's all about Jesus Verses 8-12, through we look at verse 8, it says, Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. It's talking about Jesus. It's talking about people who are scattered. It's talking about people who who are being persecuted, being tried, being tested. They've never seen Jesus, but they love Him. That's you, right? That's me, right? Have you ever seen Him? Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him. And rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. Obtaining the outcome of your faith. The salvation of your souls. You know, I'm, I love my wife. She's looking at me now and I'm talking about her. You talk about your wife today, I'll talk about mine. Now, if, if before we got married, I were to tell you, Man, this girl something. She's going to make an awesome life. But what if I never married her? Then you would be like, I thought you said she'd be an awesome wife. Well, yeah, she would be, wouldn't she? Why don't you marry her? Well, I did. I think she's an awesome wife. Sometimes we, we treat God like that. Oh, God's awesome. Why don't you have a relationship with Him? You know? You're sitting by someone who has a treasure and you're talking about their treasure and it's not even yours. You embrace the treasure of salvation when you love Jesus. In John 17, what a great prayer. Jesus is praying for believers. He's praying. He's pouring His heart out to God. He says, I made known to them Your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which You have loved Me may be in them and I in them salvation if you've been been born again if you've been redeemed if you've been saved then you love Jesus you love Him never seen Him but you love Him and you embrace Him in faith the treasure of salvation is there when you trust Jesus with your life it's not just yeah, I believe in Him but you throw your whole life upon Him I mean, I can believe a lot of things are real. I can believe chocolate milk's real. It doesn't mean I like it. it doesn't mean I drink it. You can believe that Jesus is real. You can believe it. it's it's good. It doesn't mean you're a part of it. it. doesn't mean you're a part of Him. When you believe in Him, you worship Him. You love Him. It makes up who you are. In John chapter 9, when the blind guy goes through this whole deal of receiving sight and he's persecuted and his family doesn't get it and he's cast out of the temple and Jesus finds him again he said Lord I believe and then he worshipped belief and worship are married you can't believe in Jesus and not worship Jesus you, you under, if, if that's the case then you just understand intellectually certain things about Jesus it has nothing to do with your heart. It's not about understanding certain things about God intellectually. It's about embracing God wholeheartedly. With all that who we are. It's all about Jesus. It revolves around the person and work of Jesus. Now look at this. In verse 10. Talking about the salvation. Talking about the grace that's proclaimed to us. Now, concerning this salvation... Peter says, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and they inquired carefully. They inquired what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when He predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you and the things that have now been announced to you, though... Through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven. Things to which angels long to look. Now these couple of verses mention two people groups. Individual groups. Who's that? The prophets and angels. Now I love this. I thought about leaving this whole part out. Because I'm like, how do I fit that together? But it's good. The prophets. All throughout the Old Testament. They tell us where the treasure is. They're telling you where the treasure is. They don't, they, don't, they don't have the full treasure yet. They're proclaiming Christ. Proclaiming the treasure. And the angels. They watch in awe as we receive the treasure. So what, what greater place to be in history than today? The prophets are proclaiming a gospel through a Savior who is yet to come. The angels are looking at the proclaimed gospel and seeing people like you and me receive it, and they don't get it. They don't understand it. They long to be a part of that. I don't know what angels really look like. I don't know about these beings in heaven, what what they're like. But they don't taste grace. They long for it. The prophets, they proclaimed and proclaimed that there's going to be one that's to come. And so here we are today. The treasure has been revealed. The angels look long, almost jealously, at what we have. We have a treasure, folks. Matthew 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, But a man found it and he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It's a treasure. This great, wonderful treasure. Now, if if this is true, let's just say it is. And I'm going to say it is because it is. That our salvation is such a treasure. Then I think there's some implications that come along behind that. I think there's some things that we need to talk about here. If this is true, that such a marvelous treasure is ours in Christ, then there's several things that we need to discuss. First of all, its value is immeasurable. Nothing compares to the worth of the treasure that we have in Christ. Philippians 3, 7 and 8, Paul talks about, he says, whatever gain I had, I counted loss for the sake of Christ. He says nothing's... Nothing is worth as much to me as Jesus is. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He's a person who sees the immeasurable value of salvation. In Acts chapter 20, he goes on to say, But I do not account my life of any value Nor is precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. If we have a treasure in salvation, then its value is immeasurable. Do you think of your salvation as being of immeasurable value? What is the most? What is the most valuable thing that you have? See, it should be our salvation. It should be our relationship with God in Christ. If our salvation is indeed also such a treasure, then it's our welcomed new identity. We have a new identity in Christ. When we receive this treasure, it changes who we are. We're saved. We're a different person. At the turn of the... uh, Second century, there's a, a young lady named Perpetua. And I'll tell you her story because uh, most of you in here probably don't know her story. St. Augustine actually preached four sermons based on her her story. Perpetua was a, was a noble woman of, from North Africa. Now, North Africa in that time was the hot spot for Christianity. That was a place that God was moving in North Africa. This young woman, Perpetua, she was a believer. She was a Christian. Her and four other people were arrested for being Christians and they were taking a class about baptism. They were getting ready to be baptized. That emperor in that day, he wanted to cripple Christianity because he believed that it undermined Roman patriotism. So, Perpetua was this believer in Christ, going on about her business, learning more about Jesus and, and, and taking classes, ready to be baptized. She was arrested, and the five others preparing for baptism were as well. Her pagan dad, who was not a believer, he did not know the treasure of salvation. He came to her, he did not understand the, the, the deal. He said, Just deny that you're a Christian. It's just, that's all you have to do. Because he loved her, he loved his daughter just just say i'm not a christian that's, that's all you got to do well she looked at a at a at a pot she said father do you see this pot here do you see this vase I said yep can you call it anything else but what it is no then that's what i am i'm a christian it's our new identity she was saying i have ident- an identity in christ i'm a believer so Her her father came and was just pouring out before her. She was greatly moved uh, by this. Um, Well, they moved her to another part of the of the prison because she was nursing an infant. They wanted her to be able to feed her child. So you have this woman, this young woman, this believer who has this identity in Christ in prison in North Africa, nursing an infant. Her father came to her again. He threw himself down, kissing her hands. He says, have pity on me. Have pity on my gray head. Think about your mother. Think about your brothers. Think about your son. He won't survive. Make a sacrifice to the emperor. Deny Christ. Just put away your pride. She was stirred and, and touched by this. And This is what she said. She said, It will all happen in the prisoner's dock, as God wills. For you may be sure that we are not left to ourselves, but are all in His power. The day of the hearing arrived, they bring out these five arrested Christians. They bring them out before the the governor. Her friends were questioned first, and they all refused to make sacrifice to to the emperor. It came to her her time, and her father busted in 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 the room with her baby and started pleading with her again, please, for the sake of your son, your baby, he will die if, if, if you don't pull, pull it together. And the governor was looking at this man and looking at her and, and, he, and he said, well, what do you think about this? All you got to do is burn a little incense, make a little offering to the emperor and it's fine. So she was in this place where she was Thinking about this, they beat her father to silence him. The governor asked her, will you make a sacrifice to the emperor? She said, I will not. The governor said, are you a Christian? She said, yes, I am. Because this treasure of salvation is our identity. She knew who she was. They dressed these five individuals in belted tunics and they brought them into the arena. And in the arena were gladiators and wild beasts. And there was a crowd. The mob of Rome was roaring for blood. A a wild heifer came and knocked Perpetua's friend off of her feet. Perpetua went over there and picked her up and straightened her tunic. Can you imagine being in this situation? All they had to do was say, that's not who I am. But they knew their identity. As the crowd roared and roared for blood, they lined them up because they were impatient, because the animals didn't attack, and they killed them. That's someone that you don't know about who knew her identity was in Christ. She knew who she was. She knew the treasure of salvation. She said, You see that vase? You gonna call it anything else? If you're a believer, you have an identity in Christ. It's who you are. This next implication that we see if if this salvation is true, if it's such a invaluable identifying treasure, then it's overflowing with death defying confidence. If it's imperishable, it's undefiled, kept in heaven, guarded by God, and you're a believer, it should, you, you should have amazing confidence in that. Now, you, you would think, well, Professor had confidence. She died. Well, let's, let's, come, let's come ahead hundreds of years later in the early 60s or late 60s, early 70s. There was a Romanian pastor called Joseph Sohn. Joseph Stone was a Romanian pastor. If you would see a picture of him, he'd have glasses and he'd have a suit and tie on. He recounted a time he was being interrogated by six men and he said to one of them, what is taking place here is not an encounter between you and me. This is an encounter between you or, or me and my God. My God is teaching me a lesson through you. I do not know what it is. Maybe he wants to teach me several lessons. I only know, sirs, that... You can only do to me what God allows. You can go not one inch further because you are only an instrument of my God. He said, every day I saw those six pompous men as nothing more than my father's puppets. He goes on to say, during an early interrogation, I told an officer who was threatening to kill me, sir, let me explain how I see this issue. Your supreme weapon is killing. My supreme weapon is dying. Here's how it works. This This is good. He's got some confidence here. He says, this is how it works. You know that my sermons on tape have spread all over our country. If you kill me, those sermons will be sprinkled with my blood. Everyone will know that I died for my preaching. And everyone who has a tape will pick it up. And they'll say, I'd better listen to this again. Because this guy, he believed what he was preaching. Because he really meant it. He sealed it with his life. So, sir, my sermons will speak ten times louder than before. I will actually rejoice in this supreme victory if you kill me. See, this guy had some confidence. Now, what is. Okay, so this is a, a pastor in the 70s in Romania. I'm not looking at a pastor in Romania in the 70s right now. I'm looking at people like me and you who go to work, who go to church, who go to Walmart. And everywhere we go, we have this treasure of salvation walking around with us. But why don't we walk around defeated all the time? And God kind of leads us maybe to to talk to somebody. I don't know if I can do that. See, if we have such a true, genuine treasure as salvation is, then He gives us death-defying confidence. Amazing Confidence. After this, this is uh, Pastor Joseph again. The interrogator sent me home. Another officer who was interrogating another pastor friend of mine told him, we know that Pastor Son would love to be a martyr. But we're not that foolish to, to fulfill his wish. He goes on to say that after that, I could go anywhere I wanted to and preach anything I wanted to preach. They let me do whatever I wanted to. And then he wrestled with that issue of Trying to keep his life. He said, for, for, for years, I was afraid because I wanted to live a full life. But it came down to the point where he would die and they said they wouldn't kill him. And so he gained life. But he had this amazing confidence. Do you have confidence like that? And I think honestly, I mean, this, this girl, Perpetua, and this pastor that we, we don't know these two people. But if we're saved, if we're believers, then they are our brother and sister. They're part of our family. And they've gone on before us. And they've shown us. They've given us an example of confidence in our treasure, in our salvation. They've said, this is how I can look. And they're not even in Scripture. If, If we have confidence, if we have the best thing, if we have this treasure of salvation... Next, then the treasure is too wonderful to keep to ourselves. It's too wonderful to keep to ourselves. Matthew 5, 14-15, Jesus said, You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you're a believer, then you have a glorious treasure of salvation. Why is it that we keep it to ourselves? Why is it that we go about in in a broken, lost, dying world every day and we have the treasure... We have their, we have the hope. You do. You're a believer. You have a treasure. Yours. Kept in heaven. Guarded by God. What about the world around you? There's people that need to see that treasure. When you go to the restaurant today after church, that server needs to know that you have a treasure. When you go home and your family members that did, never go to church with you, they need to see that you have a treasure. Some of you feel called maybe to go on a mission trip. I think you should go. I think you have a treasure to share. It's too it's too good to keep to ourselves, people. And you know, we do that all the time. Well, I don't know what to say. I just, I don't know, I don't know what to share if I were to share somebody. Well, let me tell you something. If you had a treasure and it was really yours, then you would talk about your treasure. You would know what to talk about. You ever go to somebody's house and they have a kid at their house and they bring you their their favorite toy? They bring you their treasure? It's funny how kids can be some of the best evangelists. They come up and say, This is my red fire truck. Ain't it awesome? I think we can learn a lot from that. Kid walks up to you and says, This is my treasure. How awesome is it? We should go up to people that don't know anything about our treasure and say, this is my treasure. It's awesome. And see, here's the great thing. The, the people that that spend millions of dollars with these big boats that, that blow up the, the, the sand on the underneath the bottom of the ocean trying to find this treasure, they spend so much money at so much cost and away from their families to find these treasures. These producers of these TV shows and these writers of these TV shows that are trying to make make it all work out to where... like, Because we're so interested in treasure. See, God did everything necessary for you to have the treasure. You don't have to buy it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to go search for it. It's here. The treasure. And it's free. The greatest thing ever. And it's free. And it's for you and it's for me. So there's people in this room today. You're sitting here. And I'm showing you this treasure And in your heart You know That you don't have the treasure You need the treasure And who cares what somebody's going to say to you If you come down here You've been in this church your whole life You've never tasted and seen How good the Lord is And you don't know the treasure Set your Sir, ma'am Put your pride aside and come and receive the treasure. Maybe you're um, a believer. Sir, ma'am, there's people that need to see your treasure. We're going to have a time of prayer and invitation. We pray that you would come and receive the treasure. If you're a believer and you're thinking of someone that you know in your life that they don't have the treasure, I would invite you to come to the altar and pray for that person. And pray that God would give you an opportunity to share with them about the treasure that you have that's your salvation. Would you come? Would you pray? Let's pray. Father, we thank you, God, so much, Lord, for. Your word. God, I thank you so much for the reality, God, that you saved us. And this salvation is such a treasure. And Lord, with all of my heart, I wish with all of my heart that everyone in this room today, God, knew that they have a treasure in you. But Lord, there's people here today. They don't have the treasure of salvation. So Lord, where they are, God, would you begin to speak to their heart? Would you begin to show them they have a real need for you? Would you press upon their heart that it's empty? That they may have all that the world has to offer, but they don't have the treasure of salvation. Lord, there are people in our lives that the truth of the matter is simply this, God. They don't have the treasure and they will spend an eternity in hell. Lord, I pray that you would press upon us as believers to see how great a worth that we have in our treasure, that we are not okay with keeping it to ourselves. That, God, there are people in our life that are far from you Their neighbors, their co-workers, relatives that are far from you. God, give us the courage and the boldness to share the treasure. To show the awesome treasure that is ours. And Lord, it's not our job to convince them that it's theirs to to be had, God. We trust that you can do that, Lord. We embrace our treasure of salvation today. God, it compels us to worship. It compels us to love you. It compels us to love you, Jesus, more and more. Lord, we embrace our treasure of salvation today. Lord, we love you. God, I pray that you would speak to hearts. Lord, have your way in this time. We pray this in your good name. Amen.